0: Welcome back to our series on the virgin birth. I'm going to be giving a somewhat longer video today than usual because I'm dealing with a couple of objections. And so stick with me or watch the video in pieces or whatever works for you. Today, I'm going to be talking about a couple of objections that I think have some weight, especially if you're concerned about uh, whether these accounts are without any error whatsoever. The first of these concerns the... Um, one and only apparent discrepancy between the infancy accounts proper. And you'd never think that there's really only one apparent discrepancy between the actual infancy accounts in Luke and Matthew about Jesus to hear people talk, even some Christians, oh, there are these big problems. And I just don't know what's going on. I'll be reading some of those quotations to you in our next and final video in this sub on the virgin birth. And on the infancy accounts. <clears throat> um, but actually, there's only one between them. And this concerns when Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus went back to Nazareth. In Matthew, of course, it, it seems to show them settling for a while in Bethlehem. And I've talked about before, how that kind of fits with the idea that Bethlehem was, in some sense, Joseph's hometown. He had to travel there for the census in Luke, and then they they seem to have hung around for a while. And then they're warned after the coming of the wise men that they need to flee to Egypt to escape Herod. And it's only after that that they go back and live in Nazareth. In contrast, after the purification of Mary in the temple, when they're done with that, Luke has these transitional verses. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth, and the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, and we go into the story about how they lose him when he's 12, and they then find him at the temple, it's a different story. Now, I think it's only fair to admit that it really appears that Luke is implying that they went back right away. If I were an ineratist, I would just stand firm on the fact that Luke doesn't say that explicitly. He doesn't say when they had completed all the things required from the law. They immediately returned. He, he doesn't say that quite explicitly. But I I think it's only fair to say that that does appear to be the implication. You certainly would never think that Luke knew about the, the flight to Egypt or their staying in in in. Uh, Bethlehem for a while or anything of that kind. And I think, in fact, he didn't know about it. In fact, if anything could convince me that Luke did not have Matthew as we have it, it would be the, the infancy narratives. There are other reasons as well. So the question becomes, why Why does he say this? If he is implying that they went back right away and Matthew is saying that they stayed there, then that's a, that's a contradiction it's that's just a contradiction i think it may have happened very easily that in the account luke had it may have been oral from mary it may have been written it may have been some of each in fact as we'll see in a little while i definitely think the genealogy Luke gives at the time of jesus baptism would have been written down uh that the account of the flight to egypt just wasn't in there were of the coming of the Magi, the slaughter of the innocents. And you can imagine Mary even orally telling this account and just finishing it out, telling about what these people said to them in the temple. There are two people who make these uh, statements and praise God and so forth in the temple when they bring the baby there about six weeks after his birth. And then saying something like, and later, when we were living in Nazareth, We used to come every year to Jerusalem to the Feast of the Passover, just kind of jumping to the next account. And Luke, being a good writer, he wants to make a transition. So he makes a natural assumption, though she didn't even say anything that sounds as much like it here, that they went back right away and sort of writes a transition. When they had accomplished everything, they went back to Nazareth, and the the child grew. Notice how generic that, phrase is, that sentence is about Jesus growing, and so forth. And then goes into the fact that they went to the temple, and how Jesus got lost when he was 12. I think that's very natural from a historical point of view. I would say, however, that it is incompatible with... Um, with the doctrine of inerrancy. So again, if you're an inerrantist, you should probably just stand pat on the fact that Luke doesn't say that they went back immediately. Certainly that is much simpler than the idea that Matthew literally made up all of these other events and that that's why Luke doesn't have them. Why even Think that. Matthew appears extremely sincere. In fact, I would even say that the somewhat strained nature of some of Matthew's, uh, or what appears to us to be somewhat strained, of some of Matthew's interpretations of prophecy, such as the prophecy Matthew gives out of Egypt have I called my son, indicates that Matthew believed the events. In other words, he had these events handed to him by his source for Jesus to infancy and childhood, and then he's searching to see if these things were in some sense predicted by Old Testament prophecies. If he was just making up the events to fit with Old Testament prophecies, he could have made things up that fit much better. He could have made up Jesus, you know, striking a rock and water coming out of it or something when he was a boy, uh, rather than a flight to Egypt. So I think it's clear that Matthew is sincere and has these events from a source that he regards as reliable. So I don't think we're in any way justified in thinking that all that's made up. This brings us, however, to the question of why Mary, or anyone else who gave Luke the account, would leave out those rather striking and interesting events. And this is where we do get to the pure argument from silence. Because even if she stated it in a way different from exactly what Luke has and uh, was just discreetly leaving those events out, the, the skeptic, and I'm afraid perhaps some Christians, are um, likely to think, wow, you know, why would she leave that out? Surely, that word surely, surely she would tell about that. Why would she leave that out? Well, That kind of argument from silence where you take the mere silence of one document and you use it to discount the exact, the actual statement, the open statement of another document in history is a really bad argument. It's not like just saying we don't have anybody recording this, it's saying well Matthew records this but Luke doesn't and surely if it happened Luke would so. Uh, it's it, it didn't happen. Matthew made it up. That's a very bad argument. I have a number of these references to uh, bad arguments from silence that one could try to make from my husband, Tim. Uh, he's gathered some of these together. He has a professional paper on the argument from silence. For example, Marco Polo never mentions the Great Wall of China. Grafton's highly regarded English Chronicles discusses the reign of King John in the early 1200s. Any school child who's given a good study of that period of English history will memorize Magna Carta 1215 as one of the major events of King John's reign, and Grafton doesn't mention it at all. That doesn't mean that we should doubt that Magna Carta took place, as recounted in other sources. Ulysses S. Grant's memoirs do not mention the Emancipation Proclamation. Why? I don't know. Eusebius does not mention that Constantine murdered brutally his son Crispus and his wife. That is to say Constantine's wife. We have a conjecture as to why that Eusebius wanted to flatter. But the point is we're left in many of these cases conjecturing why something was left out. I have an incident even in my own life rather tragic incident concerning my local area here. During this past semester, uh, very tragically, a child was killed in an accident in his backyard. I heard about it because the family of this child belonged to an organization that I also belonged to. And on the Facebook group for the organization, one of the leaders posted about this tragic event and how we could support this family in their time of grief. I googled at that time on local news and I couldn't find any mention of this at all. Now I can conjecture why, that the local news has decided to be more kind to families suffering tragedies and the accidental death of a child and is deciding not to cover that, not to draw that kind of unwanted attention, but that is itself a conjecture. And I would be unjustified in discounting the report of the child's death from the uh, leader of the organization merely because I can't find any corroborating discussion of it in the news. So we have lots of these kinds of situations. And what we need to do, as Tim will say, is we need to calibrate. And to calibrate is to say, oh, I, I thought I knew how likely it was that this person would mention this or this source would mention this, but we're often wrong about that so let's change our estimates on that and we should do that here too. I have a conjecture as to possibly why Mary might not have mentioned this but it is just a conjecture. I am not saying that it is probable. I am however saying that I think the disjunction of that or some other reason that we just don't know is probable because this happens all the time in history. But here's a conjecture of the kind of thing that could be the reason. In uh, the 40s AD, there was a grandson of Herod the Great on the throne. This was Herod Agrippa I, not the Herod of the the story of Jesus. He was Jesus' infancy. He was long dead and not Herod Antipas, his son, the Tetrarch, but Herod Agrippa I. And Acts tells us that Herod... Uh, Agrippa I persecuted the church and beheaded John uh, John's brother, James, the son of Zebedee. That's in the book of Acts. He regained rule over quite a bit of the territory that his grandfather, Herod the Great, had ruled, even to the point of being called Herod the King for a time. He wasn't just a tetrarch. Let's suppose just for a moment that the form of this story that Mary told took took shape. Maybe she had someone write it down. Maybe she was telling it to people in that time in the 40s when Herod Agrippa I was on the throne. I'm not even saying that's necessarily when she told it to Luke or gave it to Luke, but that that was when she, you know, decided how it was going to, how it was going to be. And that she just thought it would be better and more discreet not to mention this story that cast Herod the Great, the grandson of the persecuting Herod, in such a negative light. In contrast, let's suppose that Matthew got the story from James, Jude, one of Jesus' other brothers. That may have been given at a different time, or they may just not have felt that way and have decided to tell these stories. As I mentioned in the last video, the stories in Matthew emphasize danger. You've got, right from the beginning, this problem she's pregnant, Joseph's thinking of divorcing her, and then you have another problem after the baby's birth that Harry's trying to kill him, and they come back, and they have another problem that Archelaus is reigning, and you can see that from what we might call a stereotypically masculine perspective, and the stories in Luke emphasize wonder, the wonder of the conception, for he that is mighty hath done unto me great things and holy is his name, says Mary in her Magnificat, and doesn't emphasize nearly as much the the dangers surrounding the child's birth. So I think we can see reasons why she might have simply not told that story. And then that omission just leads Luke to this very natural uh, assumption that they went back right away. The next objection I'm going to talk about does concern the genealogies of Jesus. And that's part of why this video is going to be so long. But I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. My concern here I want to focus is on the truth of the infancy stories which are connected to the virgin birth. Is Matthew making up his genealogy of Jesus? Is Luke making up his genealogy of Jesus? That's that's the question because especially in Matthew that genealogy occurs right before his story of of Jesus being conceived by a virgin. There is an apparent contradiction here because both genealogies appear to be connected to Joseph and yet they have several different names particularly after uh, after David. So what what's the deal? This has been discussed for hundreds of years. In fact, well, about over a thousand years. I believe Julius Africanus, uh, writing in the late uh, second century, was one of the first whom we have, extant, to discuss this alleged discrepancy because the, the names are different. I'm not going to go into all different ways that the names are different, but this, of course, is a field day for skeptics. Oh, you know, They're just making these genealogies up to connect Jesus to to David because look, they they appear to contradict one another. Since about the Reformation or somewhat before then, a popular solution to this apparent discrepancy is the one that I think is most probable, though I'm not absolutely camping on it, which is that the genealogy in Matthew is that of Joseph and the one in Luke is that of, of Mary. This does lead to another problem, though, which is that um, when you read the introduction to it in Luke, it doesn't look like the genealogy of Mary. And here's what he says. He's talking about Jesus, uh, how Jesus is about to be baptized. When he began his ministry, this is in the NASB, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. Being supposedly the son of Joseph, and then it says the son of Eli, the son of Mattath. That that phrase "son of" for Eli and Mattath, however, is not in the Greek. Also, uh, the the text family that this is based on actually has uh, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph. Uh, so you know, moving that word "son," which some scholars have emphasized and implied that there's a parenthesis. Implied there, are, of course, no real parentheses in the Greek. That would have it that um, Jesus was really the the, the son and the sense of descendant of Eli, and that you know it's being the son as it was supposed of Joseph, but really of Eli, and so forth. Uh, with Eli being Mary's father, and that this is what Luke intended, and that this is what he implied, and that this is what. Uh, Someone who understood the Greek would have just understood from it. I'm not convinced by that. I've tried to look into it. I'd like to be convinced by it. But uh, I can't find any church fathers taking that theory. And they new Greek extremely well. You can say maybe they had the other text family, but I'm just not finding enough independent evidence that, the, that those slight differences in the Greek would be sufficient to imply that Jesus was the son or descendant of Eli, but not of Joseph. The other thing is that there would have been a much more obvious way if Luke knew that this was the genealogy of Mary for him to say that it was the genealogy of Mary. He could have said Being the son, as it was supposed of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of Heli, etc., etc., etc. He just worked Mary's name in there very gracefully. And I generally try to avoid theories according to which the gospel authors are being super subtle and implying things in super subtle ways. So if I criticize such theories when they're made by people who are saying that there's some subtle theological meaning here that I don't think is there, uh, or that there's some hyper-subtle implication that something isn't historical when it looks completely historical, then I have to be uh, honest and not use hyper-subtle theories about Luke implying something in this subtle way when he could have said it much more obviously if that's what he thought. At the same time, I do think that probably the simplest explanation is that this is the genealogy of Mary. This leads me to prefer a theory for this apparent discrepancy that these both look like genealogies of Joseph that is similar to the one I gave a moment ago, though it would be incompatible with inerrancy. And this theory would be that um, Luke had this genealogy written down. you, You would write down a genealogy, even if he got down the other stuff orally and that by the time he was writing his gospel he was not immediately in the presence of mary or someone he could check with you know he might have gone on on his travels with paul he couldn't just call her up on the phone and say hey now just to clarify you know this is joseph's genealogy right um didn't have a way to clarify and that he thought because genealogies were most often done through the, the the male parent that this was the genealogy of Joseph. And that he just then put a reference to Joseph in there kind of to, to to make it smooth, to bridge the gap and so forth. Again, all in good faith and again, not having Matthew. I think it's just obvious that, that Luke didn't have those infancy sections of Matthew. Again, in good faith thinking that this was the genealogy of Joseph. Now why would I even think that either of these is the genealogy of Mary? I want to point something out. There's a difference between saying that one of the genealogies in the gospels is that of Mary and saying that the author knew that or intended that or said that. It could be that this is the genealogy of Mary even if Luke didn't realize that. And the virgin birth actually makes it plausible that the genealogy of mary would be kept in fact um the apostle paul says that jesus was of the seed and that's like from the word sperm of david according to the flesh that's the, from the word sarx according to the flesh so if, if he's saying that Jesus was of the seed of David, according to the flesh, then Jesus had to be physically descended from David. And if the virgin birth is true, then Mary had to be. In fact, I believe the church father Tertullian made this point though. He didn't expressly draw the uh, conclusion that Luke's or Matthew's for that matter is the genealogy of Mary, but emphasized that he had to be descended uh, from David physically. So that makes it plausible that in this unprecedented situation, somebody would have kept a record of the genealogy of Mary. And with the strong Marian emphasis that we find in Luke's gospel, it makes most sense that it would be Luke. You can imagine Mary keeping this in her family, where everybody knows, let's say, that Eli was her father, you know, genealogy of Jesus. Of Heli, of so and so, of so, and it traces it backwards. Uh, Matthew's traces it forwards from Abraham. So that's kind of interesting that they, that's not an, an improbable add on to the idea of the virgin birth, that they would have kept it because of wanting him to be physically descended from, uh, from David, and then that Luke may have mistakenly thought it was by Joseph. It was Joseph's genealogy, not having Matthew at hand. If I were sticking to an inerrancy, I would either go with that other theory that I just said a minute ago I did not find convincing about the Greek, or uh, another one. This one doesn't get much press, and I just want to throw it out there. This was suggested by Canon H.A. Blair, who was a uh, mid-20th century British... Uh, clergyman, and and scholar, he suggested that Matthew might be the genealogy of Mary, and that a, just a single generation might have been scribbly accidentally dropped at the end of Matthew's genealogy, where it, that it, where it mentioned Mary. This would explain several items of evidence. I'm not going to go into all of those. One of them is a reference to. Um, Matthew's Genealogy by Clement of Alexandria, sort of generally around the year 200, where he, he seems to be saying that Matthew's is the genealogy of Mary. You know, Did he know something? I don't know. He's not explicitly even addressing the alleged contradiction, but it uh, it would have been a fairly easy uh, scribal thing to accidentally drop just one generation there. And that might be an economical way of Uh, actually solving several different conundrums, including uh, a counting issue regarding the number of generations that Matthew has at that point. So if I were an errantist, I might revive Blair's theory and go with, with that theory. As it is given the Marian emphasis in Luke, I would probably think that Luke's is Mary's genealogy. But you can see with all of these that these end up being good faith things that even if these, these error theories are right, they don't involve anybody making anything up, which makes a far smaller impact upon reliability. Believe me, if you think about it, and I argue this in my book, The Mirror or the Mask, than somebody making something up or changing something, even something relatively small on purpose, and then deliberately writing his book as if it were true. I don't think anybody in the Gospels ever did that. I don't think we have any evidence, and we have evidence to the contrary. Uh, Luke is very scrupulous. Let me also mention that there are embarrassing things in both of the genealogies. Without going into too much detail, Matthew's Matthew has Jesus descending from someone named Jeconiah a descendant of David upon whom there was a curse. Even the rabbis had to struggle with this because it isn't just a, a Jesus problem. The curse didn't appear to be fulfilled. If Matthew's just making up that genealogy, he doesn't have to put Jeconiah in there. Similarly, there are promises to the descendant of Solomon, David's great son who built the the temple that God would build his house Uh in a, in a metaphoric sense as well. If Luke is just making up the genealogy of Jesus, or someone who gave it to Luke is just making it up, he could have had Jesus descended through Solomon there, but instead Jesus is descended through Nathan, a different son of David there. So each of them has something about it that could have been made up better from a Christian apologetic point of view if these are just made up. And I think that's evidence that they're not made up. Luke and Matthew both get their genealogies from sources that they have reason to believe are true. And I think we have reason to believe that these genealogies are true as well. And that's actually basically it. Even by reaching outside of Luke's infancy account to, uh, to his baptism account to grab Luke's genealogy, I've given you the two toughest, uh, even apparent discrepancies or problems. I would say even more so than the census, which I I dealt with before that I think has several very plausible answers. That's interesting. Bear that in mind. Next time, I'm going to wrap up talking about some unfortunate concessions that some Christian scholars have made in their ways of talking about the infancy accounts and then trying to salvage the virgin birth with multiple attestation And that's not going to work if you make those concessions, as I've mentioned before. And I'm going to end by assuring you that those concessions are unnecessary and they're not on to anything that we haven't already covered and that the the skeptics haven't brought up. And so, therefore, if those objections are answerable in ways that leave the very robust reliability of the accounts intact, then the robust reliability of the accounts is intact. I'm going to continue to wish you a Merry Christmas. This video will be released still during the 12 days of Christmas. Thanks for watching. Be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for notifications.